0: For more than two years, Larry Morrow shared incredible conversations with broadcast legends from Cleveland and around the world with his radio audience on Salem Broadcasting. The radio program was called Larry Morrow's Take Two. So now it's time to take you back to those 30-minute shows as we do a podcast replay here on the Larry from the Heart podcast platform. Subscribe to this podcast and remember to share it with a friend. This is Larry Morrow's Take Two, the podcast enjoy I'm Larry Morrow and this is Take 2 the radio program that looks inside a person's adventure not so much from the outside but the inside out In the next 30 minutes you will discover the inward joy of their heart that married them to the passion of their life and the affirmation of ideals that directed their success We're talking with uh, with, with Joe Barber my A good friend, and as you can tell by listening to the interview, we've had some wonderful times together. Now, Joe, how is it you juggle your professional responsibilities as an actor and husband and a dad of three very active boys? You also did a video for those who took such great care of your mom, which we talked about last week. But how about your boys? Let's chat about them.
1: Wow. Um, Well, first of all, how do I juggle it? One word, Nicole. <laughs> um, <laughs> she really does the juggling. Um, I just try to fit in. Um, it, it's you know, anytime this people choose this life, this entertainment life, um, it's it's not like anything else. It's up and down. It's feast or famine. It's uh, you, you could be on tour for a year, um, or you could be home for a couple of months. I mean, it just depends on on uh, what the gigs are and where they are um I have been blessed to spend 8 years in one show in Las Vegas where we had a normal life you know where I would go into the show at night um but I was home every day and we had dinner and we had did homework and we went to baseball games and football games and practices and you know it was a normal uh it wasn't the same hours as everybody else but it was still a normal life so that was crucial I think in in the boys um Upbringing uh, to have some sort of you know consistency, um, where I know a lot of people in our business you know uh, don't get that kind of consistency. So that was great. And then we came to New York and um, and was relatively normal there too until we did the tour. But my wife really has to be. I think I think anyone's uh, who, who's in this business, I think the spouse has to be completely on board with what they do, and has to be completely in favor of it and have no resentment over the strains that the business will put on a family but if she's good with it um every minute i'm around i i try to you know help just take the kids to practice or or work on homework uh, i used to do more homework help than i do now <laughs> my son my oldest son is a senior in high school and he, he's taking all these ap classes and um you know ap chemistry uh, you know i was pretty good in science but I, i'm not at his level yes um so uh, there's less less and less I can help with it anymore. <laughs> but um but that's it just to be around them and just to you know I I try to run a tight ship when I'm here so that they they get the idea that they're accountable and they're they're uh, responsible and um,
0: that's it. You know I went I went through some of that as well. You know my whole life was doing an early morning show. I got up at 2:30 in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, arrived at the station before 4, did all the mm-hmm. homework and so I never had the opportunity to be with my three daughters in in the morning, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, I was never with them. Um, and then of course, when I came home at night, I went to bed at eight o'clock, but it was at least time for me to say to my daughters, Donna, Diana, Cynthia, bring your homework to me so I can go over it with you. So it, it it reminded me of, I couldn't have done it without my wife Rosary, Rosati. Exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, Larry, th- that's a great point. And you bring up a great point because because your schedule didn't allow for what we would consider a normal life, right? Right. Mm -hmm. You weren't with them in the morning. I wasn't with my boys at night. Like there, there were for many years. Uh, I barely got to put, I really didn't get to put them to bed at night, you know, Mm -hmm. because I was doing a show, but you know, that's one thing I miss. And, and you do make sacrifices in this business, but I don't think there's any business where there's not some kind of sacrifice, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, you, you just learn to make the best of it and you just try to be there Beforehand, you know, I mean, they'd come home from school. Maybe we'd eat a little bit early. Maybe we'd eat, you know, 4.30 or something so that I could get out and be at the show that night. At least we had dinner together. You know, you, you change schedules around as much as you can to, to make it work. Um, but I felt the same way. You know, like you, you miss the mornings. I miss the evenings. But but that's okay. We, as long as you're there, I mean, that's what matters.
0: Joe, you are, you are now um, in so much part of what's going on in films. And the early films, as we know it, seem to have conflict and tension. Do they have to be that way to be successful?
1: Well, you can't have a film that—I mean, drama is conflict. I learned that like mm-hmm. years ago <laughs> when I was a kid. It is in school. So, if if you're going to keep an audience's attention, there has to be conflict. Otherwise, there's no purpose for, there's no reason to watch anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, there has to be that. I mean, the types of conflicts that we experience now. Um, and I mean, the industry is changing so much because of, you know, the way we watch, the way we consume the, uh, the product, usually it's, uh, you know, it's not nearly as much in theaters, especially with the pandemic, you know, now we're talking about Netflix and Amazon prime and all the streaming services. Uh, but I think the, a good story is a good story. And, uh, and you have to start with a good story and you have to start with a conflict and you have to start with, you know, some, somebody to cheer for, you know, someone to root for and, uh, and see if they can. If they can overcome their circumstances,
0: with all this new technology, Joe, um, are we headed down a new road of the way that films are going to be made? I mean, they made them so quickly; it's incredible.
1: That's a great question. Uh, I I think the answer is yes, and I'm not so sure. I I'm happy about it. Um, I like I liked things the way they were, but I think to some extent, um, it's going to open up the opportunity to to create. Great stories um, to many more people. Um, At the same time, uh, with with a flooding of product, you know it might be tougher to sift through the good ones and um, and find the good ones. So sift through all of them and find the good ones. But yeah, the industry is going to change. Every industry changes. um, But I think at its core, a great story, um, a great vision to tell that story and uh, and great people in place that really understand the story and, and can live it, um, that's not gonna change.
0: No. And Joe, speaking of the, the way they were, let's uh, look in the rearview mirror for a second. Um, with movies like A Wonderful Life, Citizen Kane, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, uh, and In the Mood for Love, they all seem to have a combination of religion, values, and art. And unless I'm missing something, it's been a while, since we've seen movies like this. So are we headed down a road of a different class of filmmakers? I mean, you you are now one of them, Joe.
1: Well, um, it's funny you say that because those are, I, I mean, it's, maybe it's trite to say, but those are some of my favorite films. And, um, and I hope not, I hope we're not headed away from that. I, uh, And if we are headed away from that, um, that's where people's tastes come into play. And my taste will always be to, to those types of films. Um, and, and those are the types of films that I want to make. And, and there's a project I'm working on right now. I don't want to talk too much about it cause it's, 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 uh, I, I don't want to put the whammy on anything. Uh, but yeah. we're, but, uh, but we're working on it. It's a true story and it's very inspirational. Um, and it, I think it reminds people of what's really important in life. Um, it's a real struggle. Um, it's about a little boy who grew up in Cuba um, at the time of the revolution, but he experienced some really horrific things, um, but managed to overcome it because of his faith um, and because of his courage and because of his dream of, of coming to America. And um, so stay tuned on
0: that. <laughs> okay, we'll save that. You know, Joe. I suppose the path you choose is the path that you're on, but you are still a very, very young guy. Uh, so, what's next for you, other than writing? Do you do you want to act more? Do you want to write more? Uh, and right now, you're doing both.
1: You know what? I, I'm I'm uh, I'm not as committed to being in front of the camera or or being on stage. I mean, I enjoy it, but it's not as fulfilling to me uh, as as putting stories together. And, and quite honestly, that's always been my goal. It's always been who I saw, uh, myself as, um, it just, you know, that the, the acting part of it was, was sort of secondary and it became primary. And I'm not sure how that happened, but it did. Um, but, but no, I see myself more as, um, as putting stories together, uh, like the one I just told you about and, um, uh, writing it, um, directing it and, um, and that feels to me like you know what it, it's funny as an actor, and I know I, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me, but sometimes you're a pawn sometimes you're saying what they tell you to say, you're standing where they tell you to stand, you're doing it how they tell you to do it, and at some point in in my life i I woke up and said, "I want to make decisions. I don't want to be you know just the the guy that's carrying them out uh, so that's that's how I'm feeling
0: now. Mm-hmm. It does. And it sounds, it sounds just like you.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's just, it's enough already with, with everybody telling you what to do. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just not, it's not that fulfilling. And, um, and oftentimes, and I've worked with amazing people who are brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant, but there are many times when you think, you know, I wouldn't do it this way, or I don't see why they're, you know, going ahead in this, uh, on this track. And so at some point, you have to uh, test yourself and say and take your shot, you know, as Stallone would say, um, and say, I want to I want to make these decisions for myself.
0: For those of you who just tuned in, I'm Larry Morrill and you're listening to Take Two with my special guest actor, writer and everything in between, Joe Barbara. Joe, in the aftermath of September the 11th, you moved your family into Battery Park City along the Hudson River in New York and became a founding member of the neighborhood's community emergency response team, earning famous Top Gun Award. Um, You've been very proud to be active part of that community rebuilding process. What's that been like, Joe?
1: Oh, that was, well, here was the thing. You know, I I grew up in Florida. I grew up in central Florida, but after college, I moved to New York and New York became my home. It, It truly did. And when I would go to the studio every day to shoot Another World, we would drive right underneath the the World Trade Center. We would drive right down the, the, I forget the name of the what 7th Avenue turns it, Varick Street, I think, um, and make the right and then hit the West Side Highway, go under the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel and go to Brooklyn. That's where our studio, the NBC Studios were. And so it, it was I passed it every day, and I would go up to Windows on the World, and they had a little cigar bar, and we'd go up there and hang out. I mean, it was a part of my life. So when September 11th happened, we were in, I had moved to Nashville and I was playing some music in Nashville and doing some musical stuff. Um, So we were not in New York and it killed me. I had just gotten married and my wife was working and I I wasn't going to like leave her alone in Nashville. I just felt wrong to, to go back, but I wanted to go back so badly. So when we finally moved back, we moved to Battery Park City and our living room window in our apartment looked directly down into the hole hmm. uh, of, the, of the two towers, the, the holes, I should say. Um, and we looked at it every day. And, and uh, when they decided to form a community emergency response team, they call it CERT, um, I signed up immediately and we were trained in things like you know light search and rescue, fire suppression, crowd control. And our job was to, God forbid, something were to happen again, um, to, to respond before the first responders could get there, just to keep people back. We, we had uh, some uh, chemical training and things like that as well. And to, to keep people back, to control the crowds, and maybe to you know get some people out if we could. Or if perhaps the first responders were overwhelmed, God forbid again, um, then we could help out in the ways that we were trained. So I was so excited to do that. And it felt like by moving to that neighborhood, um, it felt like that was my part. Even though I couldn't come back and like help out in the immediate aftermath, we moved back about eight months after September 11th. And I felt like by, by moving to that neighborhood and being part of the team, that was my way of, um, of giving back and, and being a part of the rebuilding process. And I was just honored
0: to be able to do that. Joe, maybe it's because I know you a little now, but your work is cathartic. It's emotional, it's intense, and it's invigorating. And you have been able to cast a long shadow on an industry and certain people who have been uh, that you've been working with in New York. What is it, Joe, that you want them to know about you?
1: Hmm. About me? Mm-hmm. I never. Uh, that's a great question, Larry. I mean, um. I think I I come from a good place and um, uh, I mean, in my heart, I want to do this work because I I want it to have an effect on people. And um, if we can all be on that page as we, as we tell these stories, whether it's a story on stage with music, whether it's a story um, on television or a story in uh, on film um, I'd like us all to be on the same page and, and really have the same goal in mind, which is to, Tell the story that's going to touch people's hearts and perhaps inspire them I mean you know you look at a movie like a movie like Rocky you know <laughs> where where you just you, you just watch that movie and you want to go out and and do something you want to go out you feel like you can accomplish anything you know if Rocky can do it so <laughs> can i um and there's so many films like that you know we look at a wonderful it's a wonderful life and you look at you know, a guy that didn't think his life amounted to much, and and look at all the people he touched. So the people that I work with, I would like us all to be on the same page and say, okay, let's let's dive into this and let's tell this story the best we possibly can, so that we can have that end result where we affect people's lives and we, we inspire them to do more and to uh, to do great things.
0: You know, when I got in when I get in the radio business, there was one guy out of Detroit. Not that I wanted to sound like him, but he was the best I ever heard. And I wanted to be like him, what he was to his community in Detroit. I wanted to be like that for my community in Cleveland. So I really understand what you're saying, is that I I wanted people to know that I cared about them, I cared about their families, the city that they lived in, how they worked, played, and raised their family. So I really understand what you're saying. Yeah, it moves your heart. Yeah,
1: that's that's ultimately what it's all about, right? I mean, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. that's that's really that's everything. You can have houses and money, and and uh, it's all going to go away. But but if you can touch people and somehow inspire them to use their God given gifts, um, I think that's all you can ask for.
0: Joe, is there anyone as we, as we're coming to a uh, close in our interview? I mean, you've worked with so many of the wonderful greats in the business, including you call him Bob Nero. The rest, yeah. no way, is is Robert De Niro. Right? <laughs> um, is there anyone in the business that you that you sort of look up to, or you say, "Yeah, I'd like to have my career reflect some of that"? Uh,
1: well, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, Chaz Palmenteri. I mean, uh, we talk about a Bronx Tale, we've talked about De Niro, but I mean, Chaz is the heart and soul of a Bronx tale. And uh and he has been um a friend, um a big brother, uh, a mentor. Um he has supported me. He's he's been, you know, just tremendously helpful and supportive since I started this. And uh and here's a guy, again, who took a story of a true story of his own life and and took his shot. And made it happen, and um, and really does care about about the the essence, the heart of the story. And the heart of the story is family and love, and um, and the fact that Sonny, the character in the show, uh, really loved Colosio, and um, uh, and his of course his family loved him as well. And he was sort of caught between the different types of love from two different people. But but Chaz cares about making the right decisions. So I mean, Chaz is is uh, is up there i mean he's he's somebody that i i have a lot of uh, uh, uh respect for and and the way he's conducted his life and the way he's conducted his um his career so he would definitely be one and of course you know you look at a guy like Stallone and say you know again uh so many of the the themes in his movies and the fact that he wrote them and the way he wrote them and the way he directed them i think you know I have a lot of respect for him as well and uh you know he he's, he took things into his own hands as well and made his career happen um, and i have a lot of respect for people who do that
0: my uh, my favorite movies and you just mentioned one of them i i, I can't get enough of the stallone movies Rosemary yeah. will say you know you've seen that seven times right and, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i'd like to see it again
1: listen i i um when i was in vegas i taught a television and film production <laughs> I have a knack for when I'm working, I I take on more jobs than one. Like when I did Greece, I was doing Another World and Greece on Broadway at the same time. When I was in Vegas doing Jersey Boys, I also taught um, a television film production class at at Bishop Corman High School. And ask any of my students, like, what's Mr. Barber's favorite movie? Oh, Rocky. He talks about, (laughs) it's it's not about favorites. It's really about there are life lessons. And I, I could somehow equate anything, any lesson I was trying to talk about in class with something from Rocky. And I thought it was sort of appropriate that I would, you know, uh, use that, that sort of reference on these kids and it stuck with them. Even to this day, they'll email me or, or, you know, send me a message on Facebook and, and, uh, make some Rocky reference. So yeah, no, I think it's, it's vital.
0: You know, I've never had a chance to, uh, to meet Stallone. Um, uh, but I always, one of my questions would be, Watching the movie and watching the boxing part of it, did you really take a hit in the mouth? Did you really take a
1: hit? I think he did. I think he did. Yeah, I I've, I've, from what I've read, I mean, not as hard as it may have been, but I think they, I think they hit each other. Oh, but you know, the thing about the Rocky movies is that the, the boxing is great, but there's so many other lessons to, to be learned. And um, you know, I love Rocky Three. I love the third one because because he. It's so true in life, you know, you can reach a pinnacle of success. You can reach some sort of success and you think, wow. And you just take a little breather at that level. And you think, man, I, I, I worked my butt off. I worked and I worked and I worked and I did it. And then you just take a, a quick breath and there's somebody else at your heels trying to knock you off that pedestal. And you think, all right, I got this, I got this. And you don't. And you have to start all over again. And that happens to so many people in our business and I think in, in life in general. And I think it was just a great premise to, to have him come back down to earth, uh, to have him riding high, you know so high and then have to come back down to earth and have to start from square one again. And I've been in that situation in my life a few times. And uh, so, so I really relate to that
0: story. One of the, the speaking of, speaking of Rocky, and since you brought it up like that um, the one thing that I really related to, I, I can't remember it was it Rocky three or Rocky four, but he's on the beach with his wife and he wants to give up. It's three. Yeah. And he says, yeah. I can't do it anymore. Right. I don't believe in myself. Anymore. That's exactly right. And then she had to talk him into doing that.
1: That's exactly right. That's the, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah, he he doesn't believe he loses confidence in himself. Mm-hmm. He's knocked back down after being champion of the world. He's knocked back down to to nothing, where he doesn't even think he can beat anybody. He doesn't anybody. He doesn't think he can do this anymore. Um, and he has to find something deep, and that's I'm telling you, that's true, Larry. I, you know, I don't know all the details of your life, but I can tell you that's happened to me. You know, where you have to start all over again, and. uh and you think you've, you know, you've won a couple of battles, but you haven't won the war. And um and that lesson to me is is timeless. I think it's just timeless. And that's that's a kind of those are the kinds of films and the kinds of stories that I love that people can actually take with them forever. Because no matter how successful you become, at some point you have a doubt. I think some people have doubts. Maybe a few don't, but I think a lot of people go, Man, do I do I deserve this success? Am I am I really uh you know, here for the right reasons. And, and that's, that's Rocky so. three.
0: That, and you know, it's interesting that did happen to me. And, uh, I had spent 20 or 25 years on, on radio and then something happened. And I thought it might be over. And I remember waking up one Saturday morning, and I looked at Rosary and I said, it's over. Mm-hmm. She said, what are you talking about? It's over. And I said, I don't think that I'll ever put myself in front of a microphone again. She said, you get on the phone and you call this guy. He was a good buddy of mine. Right. And he's a radio guy. I said, and you talk to him. And when you finish talking with him, you'll be back in radio, I guarantee. And I said, No, I won't. I, I remember picking up the phone, calling him and talking to him. It's almost like Rocky on the beach with his wife. Wow. I got off the phone and I said, I'm going back on the air next week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I and I never looked back. There's a, a wonderful lesson there, isn't it? Joe? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's why this business is so cool. Because if we didn't have stories, if we didn't have films like this, where would you find that inspiration other than your immediate circle of friends? But sometimes they don't have all the answers. Yeah. No, sometimes they don't have all the answers. And uh, are you hearing that beep? I think I just got an email on my computer and I heard a little ding dong. (laughs) Um, But, but that's why that's why we do what we do. And, And if we can accomplish something like that, I'll be very
0: happy. Joe, history has a long memory. And when it's all said and done, just like my experience with you as and with, with Sonny and the Bronx tale, stories bring places to life, and places attach people and special meanings to stories. And your story, your life, has had special meaning to all who know you and love you. So thank you, my friend, for spending time with us today and continued great success. Thank you.
1: Larry, you're the best. Larry, you are a gem. And I, I thank God for our friendship and I thank God for who you are because you're just a good man and you and you wear your heart on your sleeve. And everybody knows Larry Morrow is like right there with everybody, heart to heart. And um, I just appreciate
0: that more than you know. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, pal. Take care, buddy. We are always looking for new stories that impact our lives in a positive way. If you have someone you would like us to interview, let me know via email at larry at larry By the way, if you enjoy Larry Morrow, take two, check out Larry from the Heart, the radio series airing on 1220, The Word, and 1420, The Answer. 90-second stories packed with smiles, hope, joy, and inspiration designed to make you stop and think about life. Next week, we talk with one of America's most loved radio personalities, cousin, Brucey Morrow. And yes, we are related. That'll be Saturday morning at 9.30 on 1220, The Word, and Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. on 1420, The Answer. Until next time, do all the good you can to everyone you can, every time you can. This is Take Two, and I'm Larry Morrow. Larry Morrow's Take Two is now a podcast series featuring an inspiring library of conversations that Larry had with many broadcast legends from Cleveland and around the world. Subscribe to the podcast and remember to share it with a friend. A new episode releases each week, and it's right here on the Larry from the Heart podcast platform. Thank you for listening.